Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 5, Episode 20 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. It's slated to come out the day after Christmas, but it's going to be our New Year's episode. So what are we going to do? We're going to drink Hardwood's Christmas Pancakes <laughs> beer and Defensive Pancakes by Divine Barrel Brewing. Um, one's a porter. Uh, that's Defensive Pancakes. It's a porter with maple syrup and vanilla, and that's what Ricky's... Uh, drinking right now it is uh where is the abv i do not see the abv on here it's got to be on here somewhere ah 6.8 percent abv versus the hardwood brewing christmas pancakes which is 9.2 percent by volume and it's a imperial milk stout with spices honey and maple syrup so tell me what you think about the defensive pancake Look, in the sake of full disclosure, I did make fun of this beer before we tried it because it's got like a picture of a pancake surrounded by barbed wire and all this other stuff. <laughs> um, it is not bad. Oh, it's pretty honesty. good. Yeah. yeah. The the pancakey part of it is a little light, but it's, you know, got that maple flavor. It's a little sweet. I'm I'm hesitant on like, would this just be something I crack open over the holidays and actually drink? I'm, I'm not sure it hits enough of that to be an evening drink for me but i will tell you you know if i was like having a brunch yeah or something like that it's exactly it, what i was thinking yeah this fits into kind of like my breakfast beer sort of sort yeah. of category yeah this is a fantastic breakfast beer it is not my favorite mm-hmm. uh and and i'll go into why in just a minute but it everything that it says it is it's got pancake flavor with uh maple syrup and vanilla and it, it hits all those things and it's a pretty good porter which mm-hmm. is what it says that it's going to be, too. So it's a sweet beer with pancake flavors, maple syrup, and vanilla. The problem I have with it is I've had so many good <laughs> breakfast stouts yeah. um, that they kind of overshadow something like a porter like this. Mm-hmm. Now, if porters are your favorite thing, you know, it's a dark beer that's sweet and all that other stuff, great. But I've also had, like, the um, uh, KBS breakfast stout, um mm-hmm. A couple of other of the boulevards, they like to make breakfast stouts. And then there's a few others that are kind of in between. So let's go in for the hardwood Christmas pancakes. Now, I've had one of these before. Yeah. So the last thing I'll say about the defensive pancake is I can't tell if it's because they've used some chemical additive for maple syrup or they've used actual maple syrup. So like I'm not claiming they're using bad ingredients. But there is a little bit of a weird flavor consistency. Like it, I don't want to say it's not smooth because it's not like it's like alcoholic rough. It's not astringent or anything yeah. like that. But when that sweetness comes in, it comes in on like almost like a little bit of a weird note. I, I I wonder if some of that's because we're using our coffee mugs. Even though we rinsed them out, maybe some of the coffee is interacting with it. I wouldn't think so because it's not like a darkness. It's just that like when I first tasted it, I was like, whoa, this is really sweet. But then once the flavor starts, like, oh, it's really not that sweet. It's almost like it's hitting off those sweet receptors on your tongue without the actual flavor. Flavor of sweetness. I mm-hmm. get you. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I now that I'm thinking about it, but like the aftertaste from it is everything. Yeah, it says it it's is. maple and everything. Like, yeah. Just to let you guys know it's there, because it, I'll admit, on the first it was like, this isn't going to be good. But then it's, I was like, oh, this is actually is pretty yeah. good. And I kept drinking it. It's it's not bad. There's something in there that's funky that just has a homebrewer. Maybe I'll... I'll put some actual maple syrup in something sometime and see if that happens. I kind of think that they added actual maple syrup because um, one of the things that I know, methaglins, you know, stuff like that, they leave a certain like kind of taste and some people Mm -hmm. love it. Some people don't. So, um, yeah. (laughs) 
right. So what do you think about the Christmas pancakes? That's a little too much for me. It's I a hard ju- one. I just got done saying the other one. Like, I felt like it was going to be super sweet, but it actually wasn't that sweet. Yep. This one is very sweet. Very sweet, right? That's a powerful sweetness. Yeah, this is not my favorite Christmas stout, but it is 9.2% ABV and all those other things. I mean, it's everything they claim it to be. Mm-hmm. It is like a Christmas spiced pancake, especially if you like let the let it sit on your tongue after you drink it for a few seconds. Yeah. It, it tastes like pancakes, but it's got, got a bit of a bitterness from the stout. Yeah, I mean, it tastes like pancakes, but it tastes like pancakes that you've gone to, like, a pancake house, and they're just covered in syrup. Yeah. You know, like they're they're very sweet. They're almost like the soggy pancake. As yeah. As opposed to, like, yeah. a fluffy pancake, <laughs> if you know what I'm getting at. I do. Um, I would say I'm not sure I would drink this by itself. I know a lot of people like to put, like, a little bit of beer in their cooking stuff, like yeah. in baking. Like a little bit of beer in the bread or something like that. I could maybe see that. I think it would impart some flavor. Like, it would certainly give some sweetness and some, like, maple flavors <laughs> and stuff like that. So, like, I think if you bought, like, a four-pack of this, or if I bought a four-pack of this, yeah. I probably would not drink more than the first one. I'd find other uses for the other three. But, you know, it's not – there's nothing, like, wrong with it. Like, we've had bad beers where it's like, yeah. this was brewed poorly. This was too hot when it was being brewed or something like that. This is not badly brewed. Um, in fact, my wife might drink this because of how sweet it is. But yeah. that's just a little bit much for me. I can handle that level of sweetness in a wine. I can't handle that level of sweetness in a beer. In a beer, right. Especially one that's like balancing it with bitterness. It has mm-hmm. to like, like, you know, it brings me back to like the Abyss, the Deschutes Abyss, which I haven't had in like a couple of years. And I miss that beer, right? Like I wish I had uh, something like that in like this sort of play, flavor profile because I think that would be really good. Or the um, Wicked Weed uh, French Toast Stout. Mm-hmm. or something like that those are all really good uh you know boulevard makes a, a french toast stout too that's really good um this one just like it's like just south if you're you know north star is those types of beers mm-hmm. uh with you know the deschutes being like the actual north star <laughs> right um if you're talking about that sort of thing uh this one is just kind of south of that it's just a little bit in the uh realm of too much sweetness and a little bit too it's like too much sweetness and bitterness and a little bit too much a little bit too less of all the other mm-hmm. things you know um now that being said i wouldn't cook with this one uh because i think it would impart some of that bitterness that i wouldn't be looking for in that what i would probably do is pair it with some foods that like french toast like i'd have breakfast for dinner and mm-hmm. have it with my breakfast for dinner um, you know, so, so that I could enjoy the flavor combination. This one, I would just drink by itself. The defensive pancakes, yeah. I just have it by itself. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It is not the best of those, you know, it's still South of that, you know, Kentucky breakfast stout or anything mm-hmm. like that. Right. But it is still a very good beer and it's the better of the two. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely out place the table. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, I would have this one probably with breakfast because it's only 5% ABV. If mm-hmm. I was having like a brunch or something, yeah. you know, everybody else is drinking mimosas. I'm having this with our pancakes or yeah, something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that two different sort of things. This is like a dinner beer, the hardwood Christmas pancakes mm-hmm. in my mind. And the defensive pancake is more of a brunch stout, breakfast style stout mm-hmm. that you have on like the weekends when you yep. know that you're just going to have a beer with your breakfast and it's going to be, you know, like yeah, absolutely. Going thing. camping, you want some with your bacon and eggs in the morning. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. And you don't want to get like sloshed because it's yeah. half the ABV of the other one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, 
that's where it is in my mind. I just can't think of anything like even a, a cake or anything like that that I'd mm. cook this in and it would be well balanced. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, some people like to make those like uh like bread cakes, like kinda like banana bread, but not necessarily. Like those those sort of things that they're putting a bunch of stuff in. Yeah. You could maybe do that. Um yeah, I, I mean I feel like I, I need to come up with reasons to use it because it's, it's not badly made. But you, you hit the nail on the head. It's certainly the better of the two. And it's not something I can really make a justification for of I would just drink that plain. Yeah. You know. And by by you mean the defensive pancake is the better of the two. Yes. And you but you wouldn't drink the hardwood Christmas pancakes just plain. Yeah, not plain, not by itself. Some people yeah. would I mean, again, if you really like sweet stuff, my wife my wife might drink that. But I can I think you hit the nail on the head. That level of sweetness where you're still battling like the bitterness. Yeah. Probably even makes it taste more sweet than it even is. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I would rather have the hardwood with something like uh, a, a less bitter profile mm-hmm. or have less sweetness and more bitterness because, I mean, that's the whole point of a stout. Like, you kind of get, like, this bitter yeah. chocolate, you know, coffee kind of stuff going on with it. So, yeah, anyways. Well, so, you know, we've had a pretty interesting year this year. We got to go to Linux Fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've... We've talked about a lot of experiments. We made like a really interesting blueberry LML wine and some some other things like that. What has been your favorite thing that we've done this year? I think the fig wine. Okay. And the only reason I'm going to say that is because it was really fun to make something with like whole fruit and whole fruit products that kind of came back and learning like how to serve it. Because what I've learned is it tastes a lot better warm yeah. or just slightly cold. It is really cold. I sent my wife up with a bottle um, when she was doing like a girls night. They went to Charlotte to like see a concert and stuff. And, um, you know, she came back like, yeah, it was good. It wasn't that great. I, was like, I thought you would love this. But then I tasted it cold. I was like, oh, no, that's such a change. Let it warm up. And then she loved it again. Yeah. It was it was just a fun flavor combination because it wasn't just the fig. We put all that pomegranate in it. Yep. And that made it so like dark and rich. And, well, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I I think that it's a tie between that and getting to go to self and play uh, D&D with all the guys that we yeah. play on our Thursday oh, night yeah. game. I took your question as what it'd be brew was the best. Oh, I no. Mean, <laughs> if you were saying what's the best thing we did, it was absolutely Linux Fest for me. Yeah. That round of D&D where we just all sat around drinking at that big conference table was yeah. so much fun. It was so much fun. And and being able to include like our two, uh, we still had two people that were remote mm-hmm. and being able to have them even like join in because we brought like the whole kit to do like the, mm-hmm. what we do for Saturday, we brought it for, uh, you know, like the, the self thing that was just so much yeah fun. it was great yeah. i'm ne- I'm never gonna miss another self if we can keep doing that yeah but, like i like the convention but there was something about just like a big in-person game with all the people we normally play with remotely like yeah it was it was nice i at least want to I, I at least want to do it one more time in my life oh, definitely <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> i i mean the convention's fun right but mm-hmm. um that is the thing that i've gotten out of that is being able to go and like hang out with friends help them like solve problems uh, make friends like that are like legitimate friends they're not mm-hmm. just like people that um, you know you you kind of know for like a day or two and uh, then you, you know, go off and do whatever and you, you maybe talk to him again or something like that um, met I met one fellow that I've met a couple times at some other events and that's kind of the way it is with that guy you know like I talked to him we're from kind of the same area he's like uh, you know in many ways we have a lot of things in common um, and there's a lot of like fun stuff but we just never keep in touch mm-hmm. you know where like 
our Thursday night D and D group. We're always in touch. We don't live in the same area, but we've tried to make plans to do like all sorts of fun stuff. And you know, actually getting to do one of those plans has been awesome. Yeah. So that was my favorite thing this year. I think the fig wine was my second favorite though. Yeah, I'll give you yeah. that. I, I have a similar ranking. Yeah. Well, the fig wine is. I'm letting mine age. <laughs> I yeah, I kept again. one bottle. Yeah, yeah, it's up in the cabinet. I want to see what it tastes like in a couple months. Well, I've still got three. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let one age for um, six months. I'm going to let one age for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to come back, and I don't know what I'm going to do with the other one. I may, may let it age for two years. I don't know. We're going to make another one next year. Oh, yeah. The, absolutely. This, yeah. It will be, they'll be even better because now that I know what type of fig tree I have and how to take care of it, I'm going to start watering it. Yeah. Um, you know, you just give it like one like five-gallon bucket a week per tree. Let that get onto them. It increases the size of the fruit, yep. the sweetness of the fruit, stuff like that. So we're more likely to get ones that are like fully ripe and don't have to ripe afterwards and stuff like that. Oh, that's so going to be yeah. great. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. really looking forward to doing the, the fig wine again. I, you know, I, what I want to do with this one, though, I want to make two different wines. I want to make mm-hmm. the one that we made before with the pomegranate and everything. And then I want to make like a pie mint mellow mel out of it with like some okay. orange blossom honey and um what i was thinking about doing was bocheting the orange blossom honey and then making the fig wine and then adding a spice palette to it like, that could be good yeah because the fig adds a lot of like creaminess to it exactly it does and it adds it has the sharpness mm-hmm. and so i think the sharpness plus the like kind of butteriness of the the orange blossom honey uh bochet would be good and i'm already planning on doing another bochet so if i do both mm-hmm. at the same time that should be fun. Yeah. 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 Boche just a ton of like orange blossom honey and split it between the two. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. I'm on that. <laughs> <laughs> Especially since our last boche, the um, buckwheat boche did not turn out that well. No. But I the, go look, back. the first boche was so great. Yeah, it was. I'm looking forward they, to doing yeah, that. They sold me on that process the first time I tasted it. That was so good. <laughs> it is very good. Um, all right. So. One of the things that I know that we're, we're still trying to do is get like our DevCore, mm-hmm. which let me tell you guys, if you haven't tried the Cisco DevCore exam, it's, it's rough. Yeah, <laughs> it is a rough. hard one. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really, really rough. They, there's some expectations that you do things certain ways that are not necessarily industry standard, but they mm-hmm. are kind of industry standard. They're like just, just to the side of industry standard. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit difficult. You learn a lot though. It's worth the, the learning, especially if you've got a group of people that you can get together with that can learn with you. It's totally worth it. Yeah. But it's just, it's a really tough, you know, exam. Yeah. I, you know, we had a a friend of ours recently retake it. I'm scheduled to retake it in January. He did not pass. And very sadly, he had a lot of the same problems with the exam I did a year ago. Um, I think Cisco is struggling a little bit on the dev core with the it's the you know the regular professional exam but also the written the expert yeah. because i think just for a professional level it is certainly too hard i would maybe even say even for an expert level it's a little bit misfocused right a lot of like you need to memorize things that frankly i would say are not good things to memorize right because apis change new versions come out know functionalities of stuff will differ and the problem with trying to like chase down some of that we're like hey complete this url path um we're not going to give you any hints just you need to know what the url path for an api is is like you don't include is that version zero is that version one like vex is a good example yeah maybe that's meraki i'm thinking of has a version zero and a version one it's uh it's uh meraki yeah yeah so you know 
that's tough. And when there's a version two or there's a new API endpoint, because there's new API endpoints every quarter, yep. are you expecting me to memorize those? Because I don't know what you're going to include in the exam and what you're not. Because um, your guidelines is just that you know how to do some stuff with Meraki. Right. So I think um, maybe I explained it to Thomas best. I feel like the dev core would be like going into like the Encore or any other professional exams, except it's not all Cisco. Right. Like you need to know Cisco networking and Juniper networking and Nexus networking and Windows networking and all that stuff. Because even though all of the applications you need to know APIs for are Cisco products, none of them are the same. Right. They're all very different. And so I would much rather see the exam focus on things like, hey, here's a piece of code that doesn't work. I've given you like a, uh, a couple of things missing. You fill in the blanks. You type in what would make this code run. Right. Or that would fix this problem. Something that's really getting on your ability to solve problems, to read code and understand code. And less of, hey, here's a problem with this API's like response. Like maybe it's missing some of the data fields in the response that are specific to that API endpoint. You know it's missing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's... I, I still think there's a place for the, there's a problem with this response and being able to recognize that and then say what the issue is, which I, I, I know mm. that's what you're saying. Right. But not a problem with the response because it gives you this very amalgus. Like it doesn't even give you the reason there's a problem with it. They just say mm. there's a problem with it and you're supposed to look at the code and know what the problem was. Yeah. Or like, you know, maybe to exactly to that example, not to spoil, this is an actual test question, but there I've seen ones like this. Where it's hey here's your response maybe it's got let, let me let me clarify that because you said this is an actual test question oh, this, is, this not is not an, an actual, actual test, test question, question. <laughs> yeah this is not an actual test question but this is similar to ones that i ran into um where it's like hey here's the response body um you know maybe it's like json formatted right here's three pieces of the data it gives you and then three pieces are missing what are those three pieces that are missing right so like there's if you fill in the blanks there's actually nothing wrong with it it's not like it's malformed it's that you just need to know this random API returns to you. Right. And they're and not they're giving you the documentation to go yeah, along with There's no it. documentation or if there is documentation, it's too long. Um, famously, I think I complained about, I got a question when I first took it a year ago that had like 10 pages plus of documentation. All I needed to know was how did it, this particular API do less than or equals to, does it do LE right. or does it do the symbols? Um, but they gave me 10 pages of docs for it. And really all I needed was the one sentence that was on like page eight. And you can't search, you can't do control right. F or anything. So like you have less than one minute per question. You really got to go fast. You don't have time for that. And our buddy who took the exam, he ran into something similar. He only received seven pages of documentation. <laughs> but why are you giving me seven pages of documentation for what should really be like one screenshot? Yeah, and like, that's, that's not testing your knowledge. That's testing whether you can speed read or not. Yeah, so like... I. I can see where Cisco is coming from because if you look at how they do testing for like the networking exams, they very much take it from a like, let's say you are a network engineer who maybe doesn't work internally, but you like go to customer sites and you're going to see, you need to know BGP and you need to know these other routing protocols because who knows what network you're going to run into. Right. Um, and I can see that if you walk into a building that maybe the network access is down, they want you to know at least something about everything. But, but having taken both of those exams, the, the, the difference between the DevNet, the DevCore, and the CCNA, and the CCMP, mm -hmm. it, and even like the 
the encore and everything that they're they're given now is that you have to know very specific information about routing and switching and things like that but it is not memorizing a book's worth of information yeah. where with the devnet you have to memorize a book's worth of information about very specific api calls that are not formed necessarily the way that an industry standard thing would so if you had to like know that industry standard okay i get that that's reasonable because everybody has to follow that thing but these are not like apis don't always follow a specific industry standard so you're asking me to go and study this one api so that's not testing whether or not I know how to do an API call. That's testing whether or not I know how to do an API call using this specific API with this specific methodology in this specific moment. That's a very different thing. Yeah. I'll say, you know, I'm slotted to take it again in January. I'm going to see how I do. But if I had a similar experience to how I did last year, um, I am probably considering switching back to the network track. Yeah. Because not that having the dev certificates are not valuable. They are. But the knowledge I would have to acquire to get the certification is not necessarily actually valuable to me on a, like a job level. Right. Because, again, I can't think of any scenario I have to go in and write an application that I wouldn't go consult the docs anyway. Like, even if I thought I knew it, you know you should be checking the docs just to be sure. Right. Um, you don't want to start making API calls and you think it's doing what you think it's doing, but maybe it's doing something close but not quite. You know, um, you can run into problems like that. Yep. So we'll see. You know, maybe we'll, we'll give you an update next year how it went. But right now where I'm sitting hearing, you know, how badly it went for my buddy that uh, maybe maybe the next time you hear from us, we're talking about the Encore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how we're preparing for the CCIE because we're going back yep. to that track. Because let me tell you, I looked at the, uh, like, topics on the CCIE for DevNet. Yeah. They're going to be rough. Well, it's taking, like, three different software jobs and putting them together. Yeah. Like, you need to be, like build train engineer and you need to be a software developer and you need to be like really like a network automation expert yeah. all in one or like you're building ci cd pipelines from scratch and you're troubleshooting problems with their pipelines plus you're building your own api from scratch plus you're building nso service packages and like this is all within eight hours yeah that's like i don't know how complex they get obviously i've never seen any of the like lab questions but if you sat me down right now and said, Ricky, I need you to go make an NSO service package that does X. Depending on what X is, that might take eight hours by itself right. to get that set up and working. Now, maybe they just want something super simple, just a proof of concept to know how to do it. But there's definitely, I don't think that looks easier than the CCIE networking, even though I predominantly do software development. So there, there's a, the, the, the topic here is like, what are we going to do for a study mm -hmm. plan for 2023? I think... And not that I'm cutting that off because I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, bu I'm building on what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't want to, the way that came out, came out wrong. But I think that we could be successful in getting a CCIE or at least another CCMP level, mm -hmm. um, you know, certificate in 2023. Uh, and I kind of am leaning towards the security track and, and hear me out. This is the reason I'm, I'm thinking about it. We're all like in that in some way. Mm -hmm. There is some programming automation that's in that. Um, and we're all doing some work in those th in those fields and in those things. And if we dig a little bit more into the security track, I think that we'll find that that's probably a little bit more relevant than the routing and switching. Um, it might be, yeah. Yeah, and, and we've already kind of conquered the routing and switching, right? Like, we've already gotten to that level, and I don't know that I want a CCIE in it. I'm not okay. saying that, that I that – I, I, I mean, that was my goal for years, mm -hmm. right? But I kind of feel like I want to get that expert level – 
um, in the in the uh, security track. Now, here's the other thing about that. If we look at the material and we, de we determine that the CCIE route and switch is the right way to go, what I think that we should do, whether we're doing dev core, uh, you know, on core or mm. set core, I think what we should be looking at is making a set of questions that focus on the material as if we were writing the questions for the test yeah and then giving that. them to each other to test each other's knowledge and really trying to focus on those uh, exam topics mm -hmm. for the test questions and create like 10 or 15 you know questions that like really focus on those topics for each topic okay. and i think that would be yeah a, be a really great, great way to study that and, and my recent experience with my second job has kind of taught me that I learn a lot more by making the questions. And then I also learn a ton by like having to give them to someone and explain why the question answer is correct versus another answer mm -hmm. and, and explain why they're wrong, even though they may be completely valid answers to another problem that could be there. So I think that that is the way that we should attack this problem going forward. Okay. Yeah, I could definitely, I mean, that's a great study method just in general. Right. You know? Yeah. So, you know, not just kind of bringing it back around to like the whole, like, let's do the, the dev core, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sold that I'm necessarily going to get off the dev core train, mm -hmm. uh, but I want to treat everything that we do from now on like that sort of thing. And so I think it, whether or not we fail dev core, and even if we switch, um, we should be treating everything that we go forward with, with this kind of ask a question, give a question sort mm -hmm. of, sort of uh, okay. methodology. Um, all right. So I was going to talk about crypto stuff. I wanted to like hit, hit up some sort of like drama mm -hmm. thing at the end. Cause I feel like, um, <laughs> there's so much crap going on in the world right now. There is. So I was going to talk about, uh, Sam Bankman fried, like killing it. And like that, like his crypto, you know, mm -hmm. we all know guy created like a scammer thing and it just like tanked the crypto markets. So I don't know. I, I, I do want to hear your thought though on whether or not you're going to stay like monkeying around with crypto a little bit. Uh, or if you're just going to like completely get out of that now that like everything's just kind of falling apart with it. I will probably still have some interest in things like Ethereum, but I'll admit, I think the, the real problem with like what happened with FTX isn't, I mean, even now as it's being handled, like he's up on charges for investor fraud, right? not consumer fraud. They don't care necessarily that he stole that money from regular people. He cares that his investors gave them all that money and uh, he was lying about the, the information there. Right. So, you know, but I think it really highlights, I think a problem crypto is struggling with that if it's not your wallet, it's not your crypto, you know? Yep. There's people investing money in these large marketplaces that are making tons of money and they're doing the same stuff that we know people like hedge funds do where, oh yeah, I told you I had the asset. I don't actually have the asset. Right. And you know, I, I remember like their bookings came out. That, that company had like a $64 billion evaluation and when they went in and actually had to report their real assets after all this stuff happened, it was in the hundreds of dollars. Right. <laughs> like, I wish I could have $500 in my bank account and convince people I really had $50 billion. I know, right? You know, um, it, and stuff like that. I mean, this is probably the, the highest profile one. Yep. But similar things have happened in the past. There's been plenty of digital wallets that have been like, oops, sorry. 
we got hacked and someone stole our key phrase. So everything's locked. You can't do withdrawals. Also, I'm moving to China. Right. Bye. Bye. You know, because like, <laughs> uh, that happened. I forget what the wallet was, but that happened to. Wasn't that like Mount Gox or something like that? I don't remember. Yeah. This would have been in like 2014, 2015. Yeah. yeah. Well, the wallets I didn't get, but I had been looking at, had that problem. They just, the whole, they just took everybody's crypto and ran and pretended they didn't have it. It had gotten locked and lost, right. but, you know, they definitely stole it. But, you know, this stuff happens. But that, I mean, that's the problem with, like, those cloud-based wallets, right? Like yeah. like Coinbase and FTX and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. Um, ones that are more local software wallets, not so much. They're still, they still have the security problems. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... I think one of the things that that I'm really skittish on is that the people that have power in the crypto market are the same people that have that have traditionally had the power. Yeah. Because they were able to go in and buy up all those assets, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like there's some manipulation going on there. Oh, that definitely is. I think I think that's the hardest part that we have digital currency, but we don't have decentralized finance yet. Right. So like without both of them, you're not really going anywhere. You're just yeah. taking the same problem and putting a new flavor on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if a Bitcoin is worth a Bitcoin, whether you're in India or the United States, but trying to get a Bitcoin from India to the United States is ridiculous yeah. now. It used to not be a problem. You just give them the wallet address and go mm-hmm. to it and pay your gas fee and, or whatever your, your trade fee or whatever yeah. it was, and it was good. I mean, and I'm just saying gas fee and all that other yeah, stuff yeah. is like a general like thing. Now it's like, oh, yeah, you want to buy some pizza in Thailand? You can't do that. You have to do this exchange fee in Thai currency, you know, like, and it just, it gets ridiculous. It does get ridiculous. And, you know, there's, there's just all sorts of problems with trying to actually use it as a currency. That really FTX was leading the charge on. I think Binance was looking to acquire them. Yep. Because they used to have, I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was backed by Visa or MasterCard or whatever it was, but they had a debit card. Yep. That like you loaded your crypto onto. It was backed by it. both. They had, they had both. Yeah. You just it. swiped it. Now, obviously, you know, uh, I think, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, but we had that crypto discussion that I talked about what I think the biggest thing holding crypto back is how fastly it can do yeah. stuff like that. Is can it get to the point that um, some sort of card registrar can do hundreds of millions of transactions a day and boom, I just swipe my card. I don't have to stay at the store for an extra five minutes yep. to make sure it all clears. And they were there and I was like, that is super impressive. But, you know, then it turned out they didn't actually have the assets. So they were just all doing internal fiat loans anyway. Yep. So it's how they were able to do it so fast. But, you know, um, you're right. The, the two hard things now is there's enough regulation to really be pulling it back. Yeah. Now. Me trading something with you is federally taxed and overviewed yep. and all that stuff. Uh, they're treating it like income, even though it's really more of an asset. And they kind of double dip on that like, really a little do. bit. And and that's that's the the problem with it. So like you really can't sell it anymore without it like becoming a great tax burden. Mm-hmm. It's just an asset you have to keep and then leverage against like loans and stuff like that now, which makes it yeah, which is ridiculous risky. for a lot of crypto. Like if you sell a Bitcoin, sure. I was like twenty to like eighty thousand dollars, depending on when you sold it. So like, sure, that's fine if that needs to become a taxable event. But like, if I trade you a hundred of whatever coin, of Raven coin, it's only worth like two cents, so that's like less than twenty dollars. Exactly. Like if I if I'm like, oh hey yeah, I want to buy one of your video games from you, but I want to do it in my cool little crypto coin. Yep. And now like that's got to get reported to the federal government. Well, I could just go in the bank and got a 20 and hand yeah. it to you, you know, like, um, and I think, I think that is maybe also part of the issue because technically, technically 
when I give you that twenty dollars, I'm supposed to report it anyway, or you're supposed to report yeah. it as income, or like it gets weird. Well, no, if it if it's under a well, so if it's under six hundred bucks uh, now, it used to be under like a, a larger amount. Yeah, so that's the you automatic. Didn't have to report it. No, 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 that's not true. Um, if it's six hundred dollars or under, that automatically gets reported. But like you are supposed to technically keep track of your movement of assets and like if you traded a bunch of stuff but you got more money than what the trade value is worth that counts as income right it's so like but nobody does because it's so, like such a small number who cares like if you're your main source of income is you're one of these people that go you buy stuff at like walmart that's on sale and then you resell it you're like a reseller sure you make enough money that's bothered with it yep like we don't make enough money like no there I'll, there used to be a thing that this is what i'm talking about mm-hmm. where I think it was like $6,000. Like if you made a certain amount of money during mm-hmm. a year or you gave away a certain amount of money, if it was under this level, then you didn't have to worry about reporting it or doing anything with it. Oh, but yes. That's still there. You're talking about the lower bound of uh, income from self-employment. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you make less than – I actually think it's a little bit higher now. I think it's at like $10,000. Yeah, something, something like that. And but and yeah. and th- those rules still apply to things like, like trading money back and forth. Like if I gave you twenty bucks for a used game, then you know whatever. Or if I traded you something that was worth twenty dollars, like a game for a game, magic card for a magic card, I didn't have to get taxed for that because it kind of fell under that like sort of thing. Um, but now if I trade you a million dollar, you know, like card, like a like a, a priceless Mickey Mantle or something like that, mm-hmm. or Black Lotus, and, and then I would have to because that goes over that amount. Yeah, of, no, that that's actually not how that works. So only if that's your sole source of income. So because we have jobs, that just is supposed to add to our income. But again, no one does this. Yeah. Because think about it. Otherwise, you could run an Etsy shop making eight, ten thousand dollars a year online and never have to tell anybody. Right. Well. Um, well, I mean, I I agree. Like yeah. that. That. But there there was there was something there that my uh, and I'm not a tax person. This is yeah. not tax advice. Uh, there was something there that within that provision that small transactions like mm-hmm. that fell under that same sort of thing and you could separate those out from like your actual income is what i'm saying yeah they might have been saying that you could claim whatever it is you were doing as a gift because yeah. the, the gift taxes are actually very handy yeah okay look this one is financial advice <laughs> people don't understand how the gift tax work and that actually stops a lot of people from like giving family members large calf's gifts yeah um because you you'll see stuff like hey the like um, the threshold for providing a gift before it starts getting taxed is fairly low. It's like ten, twenty thousand dollars, something like that. But what they don't tell you is that is you have to start tracking it again in like a single year, and it rolls over to the lifetime. Most people don't know the lifetime exists. So they, because I, I saw this when my dad retired, yep. and he was worried what to do for my sister. Is he's like, I can't give her a big chunk of money because then she'll have to pay taxes on it and she won't get all of it. Well, that just means you've exceeded your just like standard, this is what I can give in a year. Right. Anything excess rolls over to the lifetime. lifetime. The lifetime is like more than a million dollars. Okay. So like old people out there, if you're listening and you're like, I'm going to, it's not safe to drive. I'm going to sell my car, but I don't know what to do with the money. I wish I could give it to one of my grandkids for college, but I can't because of taxes. That's probably not true. Go talk to your tax person and see how it is in your state. But from what I read, just in general, you know, it just rolls over to lifetime. So the financial advice is you may be able to do something interesting with gift tax. Go talk to a tax person. We're not actual tax ad- advisors. Yeah, exactly. You should still yeah. run it by a tax person. But, like, just because I've, I've, I've heard this from, like, four or five different people when they run into those things, it's yeah. gift tax. The, uh, the yearly gift tax thing is um, maybe 
a little bit misleading because people didn't think after you the 10000 or whatever I have to pay taxes. It just means it goes to the lifetime. Now, yep. once you go past lifetime, you have That's to do a it. Problem. But frankly, if you're giving people millions of dollars, you probably already have a tax guy. You'll need to yep. listen to me. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think on top of that, like, go get a tax guy if you're looking to do yeah. something like that. We're not, we're not financial analysts. We're not financial advisors. Don't listen to us. And this only applies to the United States because that's where we live. And we live, you know, we've talked about living in North Carolina. We live in North Carolina. So it mm-hmm. only applies to North Carolina. So be careful. Be careful. Go talk to a tax person that operates in your state and can tell you the exact law around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even back to the whole thing about like trading money back and forth. We don't agree on that, and we're not tax people. We're not financial no. advisors. One of us could be right. One of us could be wrong. Both of us could be wrong. Don't don't listen to us about that stuff. We're just talking. That's true. The tax code <laughs> changes every year. So the last thing I want to do, and this is a little mm. bit of a longer episode, but Happy New Year. Enjoy it. Listen to it on New Year, and let's bring in the New Year right by talking about freedom of speech and Elon mm. Musk. Okay. Elon said Twitter is a free speech platform. Yep. And then... He banned hoarders and people talking about the Elon Jet Tracker yeah. and the guy who, uh, you know, made the Elon Jet Tracker. Yeah, it's a little bit of a like have your cake and eat it too situation where like, I think the real, I mean, I think the real part of that that's interesting to me is more that when he got the platform, he said he wouldn't ban, ban the, the tracker, tracker guy. Yeah, He was just going to sue him. Um, but then, obviously, the security incident happened with his son, so I guess he then just decided to ban him. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing, because I've seen lots of news articles about it, and a lot of people talking about it. And the, the where I really think it's the you know cake-and-eat-it situation is a lot of reporters are very involved in pointing out terms of service violations. Yep. And so they'll go and say, hey, you know, at Twitter... Look at what this other person, you know, a politician or a celebrity or whoever said that's against your terms of service. You should ban them. But then they did something against Twitter's terms of service and they got banned and now they're upset about it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a thing. So, yeah, I think, I, you know, especially the tracker guy, I would have maybe had wished that to have rather gone to court because he is technically breaking the law. But, you know. So the, I, I don't think the tracker guy is in the U.S., and I don't think that in the countries that he's in, he's actually breaking the law. I could be wrong about that, though. Yeah, that, that could be true. But yeah. he's still breaking Twitter's terms of service. He's breaking Twitter's terms of service. So yeah. here, here's the thing, though. Then, and this is this is my problem from a um, from a standpoint of ethics mm-hmm. and morality. Elon Musk profits a lot off of creating this thing where he's like, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to do this great thing. I'm going to be awesome. Then like, you know, he kind of like goes back on all that crap. And I don't, I don't know him. I don't care about Mm -hmm. him really or anything like that. The thing right here is this is a corporate company, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that goes out and they do like these things in the corporate way. And I have no problem with that. I have no problem with the jet jet tracker guy being banned or even like reporters being banned Mm -hmm. from Twitter because they're a private company. It's not a freedom of speech thing. They're a private company. It doesn't matter if the, if that company is like, yeah, we're going to uphold the rights and you know, everything of all global citizens by the U S constitution. Okay. That's great. That's your policy that you're setting out as your company. That's not a freedom of speech thing. That's not like a governmental regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the problem I have with this is the profit off of the morality. 
I am going to go out and be the savior of the world. I'm going to send everyone to Mars. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make mm. electric vehicles. And the guy is basically like saying, I'm doing all this great charitable stuff. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at how great I am. And then he does something and people criticize him, you know, for like saying he looks so great. But if he had done it, they'd have praised him. I mean, come on, quit doing that. <laughs> just just yeah. quit being all like, if you go out and say that this mm. is awesome and you're going to do this great thing and you do it, praising this person. I mean, there are plenty of people that are out there that you should be seeking out to praise that, are, that do all these awesome things that are not billionaires who profit off of it. Yeah, I think... I think you're right on that. That's really a problem with how people view like CEOs and stuff like that. Because if you're a CEO, really your job is to be like the corporate cheerleader. Yep. And that's not like a diminishing thing. I'm not saying that like CEOs are bad because that's what they are. Yep. But ultimately, you know, the C-suite of a company helps decide on some direction things. They're mostly there to try and make the company look as good as possible to attract investors yep. and things of that nature. You know, maybe like be there to help you know a legal thing happen they can be the face so that it's not coming on the company there's more like a person attached to it so like that's really what i believe elon musk's true talent is i mean on a tech level thing he hasn't really done that much even his stuff at paypal the part that he actually did was not necessarily super impressive but he's a very steve jobs like person he's very good at raising money he's very good at bringing awareness and so i think you're right on that in people that look at elon and say the value of Elon is the stuff Elon does. Elon's going to do this. When it's really more the value of Elon Musk is that he's attracted a lot of money yep. and a lot of talent that he's paying with that money. So a lot of the great things that get done, and you're right, is really run by the engineers and stuff like that. Um, that doesn't diminish the actual work Elon Musk does, but you're right. The people that are out there saying it's Elon Musk himself that is going to do X are kind of missing part of the picture. Yep. And that does make things like this where... Elon Musk comes out and said, look, Twitter's going to be a more free platform. We're not going to have as much restrictions as other places do. It does put you in a conflict when you then see, well, hey, but then this person over here got banned. Yep. It's like, well, yeah, that's a term to service violation. In certain parts of the world, what was happening was legal. Um, and I'll say one of the things I do like about how it got handled is that the only people that got banned are the people that were sharing the information. Right. So, like, he didn't go out and ban CNN. He didn't go out and ban, right. like, Washington Post. It was just the individual journalists that were pushing the information. They were like, this is where his jet is right now or something like that, you know, or, or something. Yeah, and, like, it's it's a weird thing. And I think I, that's why I kind of want to hear that discussed more because this becomes, like, a totalitarian. People t- treat yeah. it like freedom of speech. Where I'd rather treat, let's actually talk a little bit about what – what really is doxing. Right. Because certainly, if I was posting to the internet, Joe Bradley is in this restaurant, I saw him right here, you know, and someone was doing that to you, you'd say, absolutely, that's a problem. You know, like if well, there was someone who was like, my ex-girlfriend tracker, here she is, people say, that's a privacy violation because you're following her around. Yeah, so but, so on, on that thing, let, let's say, let, let's give two scenarios. Mm-hmm. Joe Bradley's in this, in, in this restaurant, go find him and like keep him from eating his meal. Right. Mm. Or Joe Bradley's in this restaurant and you report it like two hours later that I'd went to that restaurant. That's a little bit less of a, oh, I mean, yeah. it's still it's, like they're two different things. And it, Joe Bradley was in the restaurant. It was a great meal. Go to the restaurant and eat at the restaurant. Yes, it is two very totally different, different, but things. that's also different in their terms of service. That's right. what got them. 
is that in the terms of service, they say doxing is accurate, immediate information. If it's on a exactly. time delay, it's okay, which that was the problem. Well, there's two problems with the jet tracker. First problem with the jet tracker is that it was live. There is right. no delay, and that's what caused that incident with his son or somebody was following the vehicle he was in because they knew the plane was landing. The second part to that is when you register a plane, you get to basically decide if you want your plane's information to be shared publicly. Now, all the plane information has to be there. That's like a safety thing, air traffic control, everything like right. that. Elon Musk said, no, I don't want my information shared. But some people like were camping at airports to find when the jet that they thought he had landed so they right. could get the information on it to then track it. So they've done potentially a privacy violation there, yep. and they're sharing it in, in real time. But, but like and that, that kind of gets to my point. I think if we were saying this is against an individual, we're saying you know where Joseph Bradley is at any point, that's an issue. People would not be right. happy with that. At the same time, you were saying, hey, I know Joe Bradley is on a flight to Florida. You could track that flight. And most people wouldn't necessarily consider that because it's a public plane. It's now when we're getting into this, people with private planes can decide to have it private, where the planes you and me can fly in can never be private, because right. they're always public. Where is that line? So I kind of would almost like to see it more on that. It's like, really, where, when you're using public infrastructure, like public airports, is that line of privacy? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. We, we give away so much privacy to mm -hmm. companies and data collectors and things like that. I don't actually have a problem with someone collecting data on a rich person and making them feel uncomfortable. Even if it puts their kid in danger, that is not me saying a child should be put in danger because a rich person is their parent. Mm -hmm. That is not it at all. That kid should be protected. It is wrong to do anything to a child. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if you're, well, not anything, but anything harmful to a child, right? Uh, what I mean more by that is it's, it's fine if they get a taste of our medicine, right? They, they can feel what it's like to be normal every now and then. And the terror that it comes with, oh, you got all my data and you tracked me. I'm okay with that. From a moral standpoint, that's just kind of an eye for an eye, right? Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. Just the idea that, like, a lot of those people in those positions don't go through the daily of... It's easy to slash funding for public transportation, and now tra public transportation isn't good when you've got a private driver. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I think that's the direction you're going with it. It would be nice to see the rich people have more incidents like that where they see the stuff that can happen to us every day but never happens to them because well, they've got enough money I to mean, avoid it. Right now, you can have, your just because your web browser is on a monitor that records a certain size mm -hmm. and because it's at a certain location, even if it's not the exact IP address, using a certain ISP, using certain other publicly or privately identifiable information, mm -hmm. then you're you're actually identifying that person. Oh, yeah. And you're putting it in a data set to use to be able to sell marketing information. I think mm -hmm. that that's kind of the same issue here. Uh, and that's that's where I'm going with this. So, like, I don't – I'm I, the world's smallest violin is playing for the rich person who's out there that's like, oh, but you tracked me personally. I'm like, you do that to us all the time. Yeah. Like, get off your high horse. You're, you put on your pants the same way that I do in the morning. Yeah. We're the same. You just think you're better than me. Yeah, and that you know that's a very good point because there's um, all the time you see people start getting like spam, like physical mail at their house because some digital thing got leaked, even if it doesn't have their address. Because exactly. all that you know geocached IP stuff that they they build to say I know they live in this this home, even though they didn't tell me they live in that home. 
you're right. Stuff like that exists for us that they don't really have to think about yep. uh, because they have private security and stuff. It still happens to them because they still use the internet. They've got enough stuff that they don't care about it because they've got other people checking their mail. They've got people to make sure their house is safe. They've got, you know, they live in gated communities. Exactly. You know? And they yeah. get, they get to buffer themselves from that. But then when they go to their corporate office and they make these decisions about stuff, they're like, Oh yeah, it'll save us a billion dollars a year to be able to like do this and mine this data. And it'll be great. Yeah. And the it, reason that it's not going to be a problem because is because, you know, we can anonymize the data. You can't truly anonymize data. Yeah. You know, just like period. If you're, if you're collecting well, data and using that for data sets, I mean, the artists that are out there that are, had all their images scraped off the internet and they're not getting any recompense for things like mid journey or anything like that mm -hmm. are, are like forefront of things that are in this sort of situation, even though it's not exactly a privacy problem from a, um, from, from a standpoint of like what Elon Musk went through with his kid, which mm -hmm. admittedly, I'm not saying anyone should like, if you're doing that, stop not go after children i don't care whose child they yeah. are do not go after children but anyways yeah. to be fair they didn't know it was the child they thought it was elon but that's also <laughs> yeah. scary Do, does it you matter know. if it, if it's the possibility of being a kid quit being a jerk right mm -hmm. like just leave the person alone but the 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 other side of it is if you're going to profit off of, of of everyone else and expect you get a different set of rules you're wrong yeah. That there are way more, the inmates in this prison that you've created of a world running the place, you just think you are. Yeah, I think you, you touched on a great point um, of like data cannot be fully anonymized. Because the funny thing is, oh, I mean, and we both know this. Yeah. It absolutely can. But the problem is once you fully anonymize it, it's not worth not selling. <laughs> so it's not as valuable anymore. So they yep. don't do it. Yeah. The reason all these data breaches in the like ad sense and stuff like that cause all these problems is because they personally don't really anonymize it very well yep. because it's more valuable if they don't exactly you know and and that certainly does cause a lot of problems for just the world and how you know, it interacts with everything so you know I, I get you on that front so it'll it'll be interesting where it goes i'll say i've been i've been sad about the news articles i've read because instead of talking about any of the great things we just talked yep. about it became either hey look um the liberal media is bad because they did this where it's hey look uh, elon musk is now hitler because he's just going to take over twitter and only do what he did look he's banning the media yeah when the real answer is like people broke the a company's rules the company banned them that happens every day and five months ago before elon musk owned twitter you were celebrating it because they were banning the people you wanted them to ban yep exactly <laughs> you know uh, you're you're um you this is the jim crow letters all over again mm -hmm. you know like you're letting people create craft a story that divides a group of people that really should be united and like fighting against the actual injustice yep. that's happening in these situations and not fighting against, well, he said this thing that hurt my feelings, or he said this thing that's kind of like racially insensitive, or he said this thing. And like, if you found, found common ground, you could all come together and like get over each other's differences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you find out that the person that thinks that isn't actually something they said. Right. Or it's, you know, it's something they got implied for this. Like, uh, not saying Kanye West didn't say a lot of bad things. He did say a lot of bad things. I tell you, you read some of the articles and some of the quotes from him. They're all you, out of context. Yeah. Because he just rambles. And so they'll grab one sentence out of a ramble and like, that looks real bad, isn't it? But if you like put the sentence before and the sentence after, it still doesn't look great. But, but it does not, not look as nearly bad. as bad. Exactly. And on top of that, so I'm, I'm not going to go into some other things. Like mm -hmm. I have some opinions about mental health stuff. But Kanye West is a man. 
who we're all pretty sure needs some help with his bipolar situation. Probably. I mean, are we are we not focusing on that? Is everyone just lost the plot? This is a person who needs help. It doesn't matter that he's wealthy or that he's not wealthy. Quit like canceling his deals and stuff like that and start like trying to get him mental health. Help. Yeah. Instead of like trying to profit or not profit off of him because of the way he makes you look. Yeah. Look, I'll tell you, I'll leave it off uh, on this joke. Um, we need to find out what in the world is happening in the Kardashian family. Because <laughs> everybody that touches that family comes out crazy. Comes out crazy. <laughs> Something's going on there. Something's in the water in that house. Yeah. Well, you know, they say that syphilis can uh, cause you to lose your mind. <laughs> look it's curable now penicillin it's true that's true it's very true and i'm not i'm not i'm not accusing anyone of having that <laughs> yeah yeah it's just yeah it's it's wild i saw somebody talking about that there's just like a list of like people that have interacted with the kardashian and just went just pew, bad pew, shit now. yeah like, i mean whoa. sometimes women can have that effect on you if it's like it's not just the women it's like some of the like girls the, the guys have dated yeah. and stuff like that it's like wow well, but that's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. the, it's it, these are all women. Like the Kardashian family that we like talk mm-hmm. about. It's like Kylie, you know. Yeah, that's you know. true. Those are the famous people. Yeah, right, people right. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, they interact with the women, and then like they go crazy. I mean, that's like a kind of like data set there. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I'm just joking though. It's, uh, <laughs> like, I'm not actually saying there's anything wrong with the Jenners or Kardashians. Um, but uh, you know. I think that's where our New Year's episode is going to end. Try to be better than Elon Musk about like being judgmental of people. Uh, is your New Year's revolution? Resolution, not revolution. Yeah, maybe somewhere in there. Yeah, so it's somewhere in there. Something that we talked about here is a good yeah, ethics do, thing. Do your own research. Yeah, figure it out for yourself. Or, I mean, whatever. Listen to us. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just talking. Uh, anyways. This is Season 5, Episode 20 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us this year. We hope you enjoyed everything that we talked about and got something good out of it. And we hope it helped you to like move forward in your career. That's really the, the point of this is guys sitting around, talk, drinking a couple of beers or coffee or tea and you know talking about stuff that hopefully helps you advance uh, you know, forward in your tech career or do a really interesting tech project or something so hopefully that helped you in 2022 and i'm looking really forward to 2023 is there anything else that you want to talk about ricky before we run out of the year for this year yeah okay well this year to be over (laughs) then happy new year (laughs) happy holidays and we hope that you guys have had a great holiday season and that when we come back in march that we'll be able to like talk about some really fun stuff about tea and coffee and beer and mead wine and cider on top of all the tech craziness and i'm really looking forward to self 2023